I've shared before in here that one of the consistent questions that I'm asked in various settings is, what's your favorite Bible verse? And I'm assuming at some point in your life, someone has asked you that. So just so that I know that I'm not alone. If someone has ever asked you what your favorite Bible verse is, could you simply raise your hand to let us know that we are all in this together? And it doesn't matter if it's children or, or kids or, or my daughter Noli, who we, we've had this conversation and my favorite verse is now her favorite verse and I feel like I've done something decent there. But whenever I'm asked this question, I give a laundry list of things. And my first thing that I say is, well, my favorite verse is 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, which is where we happen to be. My favorite set of verses is the Lord's Prayer, where we spent a few weeks as a church. My favorite chapter in the Bible is the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. My favorite set of chapters is Matthew 5 through 7. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of Colossians. And my favorite testament, ironically, is the old one. 1 John 2.6 is this unique verse because it really delves into the idea of practical living and what it means for each of us to align our lives with our belief system. And I'm going to read it to you in a few different translations. It says in the New American Standard, the, the one who says he abides in him ought to himself to walk in the same manner as he walked, he being Jesus. English Standard Version, which some of us have, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The Christian Standard Bible, which I preach from and I'll preach from today, it says this, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. But my favorite of all of the translations with this passage is very intentional with who that he happens to be. And it reads like this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to walk in Him must walk as Jesus did. If we're going to say that we believe something, that it, it should be shown by the way that we happen to live. So if we're coming across that in the Scriptures today as a congregation, that the people who have a relationship with Jesus should walk in alignment with Jesus, we have to ask a few questions, and really one primary question, and that's this. How did Jesus walk? How did Jesus walk? Let me share with you just some various options as to how we see Jesus walk. We see in the life of Jesus that he depends on God. We see that Jesus disciples people. And we see that Jesus defies darkness. All of those are present in our text that we are going to be walking through today as a congregation. So if you have your Bibles, and I would love for you to have those, we're in 1 John chapter 2, picking up in verses 3 through 14. I will read, us over it, read this over us, not read us over it. I can't read you. I'm not a quarterback. But I'm going to read this over you and... Let's just see what the scriptures say to us. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. The one who says that I have come to know him and yet does not keep his commands is a liar. And the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in Him. 
The one who says he remains in him should walk just as Jesus walked. Dear friends, I'm writing you a new command. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the very beginning. The old command is the word you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says that he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of him, his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you've come to know the Father. I have, I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. This is how we know that we would keep... His commands. This is how we can live because of who we know. Now, I want us to be really careful, and I'm thankful for what Jared did in our worship gathering. We sing songs about the sufficiency of the work of Jesus on the cross, and there is no way for us to attain right standing before God the Father apart from the work of God the Son. It is impossible. It is something that we cannot do. We don't have the fortitude to take hold of that in and of our own power. And we see that throughout the text, in particular 1 John 2 verse 2, where it says this to us, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. But with that in mind, that we know that Jesus is the one who makes us right before God, it is because of what He has done that we are able to do anything in response. This is how we know we can live because of who we know. You know Jesus. Before we know how, we have to know who. We start with the who. One commentator says about walking with Jesus, John Stott, we cannot claim to abide in Him unless we behave like Him. Well, where are the ways and in what ways are we, do we see Jesus behaving? And it's in those three things we look at. That He depends upon God the Father. That He disciples people. And that Jesus, in, him, in His own power, He defies darkness. So if we're going to see Jesus depending upon God throughout the Scriptures, where do we have examples and pictures of that? Where do we see Jesus showing us what it looks like for us to be a dependent people? Now, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, 1 John is this book. If you've not been with us, I'm glad you're here. 1 John is a unique writing for us because it is not young John who is running with Jesus years ago. This is an older version of the same person. John has gotten older like every one of us get older. And as he has gotten older, he is throwing us back to what it looked like to walk with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to interact with Jesus. And we see that John would see the things that Jesus would do. And the first thing that we see Jesus doing is living this life where he depends on God the Father. How does he do that? He does that through consistent prayer. We see Jesus praying in the Scriptures repeatedly. 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed fervently before he was arrested and crucified. At his baptism, he prayed after being baptized by John the Baptist. When Jesus made important decisions, he would withdraw to pray before making significant decisions or even choosing his disciples. When Jesus was teaching us about prayer, he would show us, like in the Lord's Prayer, this is how you're supposed to interact with God the Father. When Jesus would perform miracles, there would be pictures of prayer. And there would be moments where we would see Jesus being grateful in thanksgiving. He gave thanks before breaking bread and feeding the multitude. Jesus was in prayer constantly, consistently. He prayed without ceasing. For Jesus... Prayer was his first response. For most of us, prayer is our last resort. It's where we go when there's nowhere else to go. Yet if we're going to walk as Jesus, that means we depend upon Jesus. John knows this. He knows these things about Jesus because he was a disciple of Jesus. The, The life of a follower of Jesus is shown to us, wait for it, By following. It's not simply what we know about this God. It's what we are doing because of what we know. When we look at the life of Jesus, he is dependent upon God the Father. A complete life of prayer. Depending upon God consistently. If we are going to walk as Jesus, would we live... A consistent, constant life of prayer. Not only do we see that Jesus depends upon God, we see that Jesus, he he disciples people. Jesus discipled these men. John's closeness to Jesus, his affection for Jesus, the way that he knew that Jesus walked was because of the time that he would spend with Jesus. For Jesus, discipleship is the way he lived. For most of us, it's the element of our faith that we avoid. We avoid discipling. We avoid being discipled. We don't like for anyone to tell us what to do or give us any type of accountability whatsoever. The issue is the scriptures are are very consistently clear. The discipleship is a part of what it means to walk with God. And the reason that we see so much of a lack of assurance in the Christian faith is because we have a lack of discipleship. Confusion about what it means to walk with God and be someone who belongs to God and to trust in the work of Jesus. And we have conversations where people are questioning whether or not they were saved or how they were saved or if they were saved because of emotional moments. And they've not learned and they've not been taught. They've not had someone to walk with and through what it means to really be a disciple. Now, this discipleship happens in multiple ways. It happens in organic situations. It happens in moments where we are sitting down together and there is a believer in our midst who is taking us the direction that God would have us to go as his people. It's wisdom. It's the encouragement of God's people from God's people. There are also situations where we show up for formal elements and aspects of discipleship where we sit down together in small groups of three or four, or maybe even larger groups, and we are part of something that God is doing. Now, for us as a church, we we have conversations about discipleship and what it means to be discipled and what it means for you to be in a life group and what it means for you to be partnering with other people because there is this idea that the Christian faith is just you and Jesus just floating through the world. 
The thing is, He gave you people for a purpose. He gave us one another. And we're trying to figure things out alone when we were never intended to be alone. Isolation is a work of the enemy in our lives. To be pushed into corners where we have no relationship with others, no one to, who trusts us, no one that we trust. Jesus says to us through John the Apostle that we can see that walking with Jesus means that we live like Jesus. If we are going to say that we follow Jesus, discipleship and dependency are part of that. Massive aspects of the Christian faith. Because following Jesus means that we actually follow. There has to be progress, movement, step for us. We look and we see in the scriptures that Jesus is showing us that. John, his repetitive themes are so consistent. Uh, dear friends, he says in verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Well, what is the word that we heard? It's what Eddie read a little bit earlier. We should be people who love one another. I'm writing you a new command which is true in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John has these repetitive themes that most of us know. And the most consistent thing that we know about John, the person who wrote the book of John and the epistles to the church at Ephesus that we call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation is this. John is the disciple of love. That's his thing. He runs with it all of the time. Now, churches have always loved to argue about music. I don't know if that's ever been a point of contention for you at some church that you've been part of. And, and the argument really goes like this. Uh, we should sing songs with really thick lyrics and make sure that those thick lyrics teach us things and it's this doctrinal intentionality with us. And then there's the other side of the argument where we should sing songs that have repetitive themes. And in all of this, no one seems to get along with one another except Jared, who does a really good job of balancing those things out for us. Think about today. As a congregation, we have sang songs that have thick theological content, and then we also have some that have thick theological content delivered in isolated, intentional ways. So there has been repetition used in our services, and there have also been doctrinal teachings that, have, that are three, four hundred years old. Let me give you an example. Today we sing, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. <laughs> oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is your health and salvation. Come all who hear, now to His temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. That was written in 1681, eons ago. It was translated in 1863. I don't have any idea how people get translated songs to rhyme, but they do. They really do. And then we sang this. Give us your heart. Oh, give us your heart. Let the light of heaven shine as we step into the dark. Oh, give us your heart. Oh, give us your heart. All to see your kingdom come and death depart. That was written in 2017. Also ancient. 
It repeats itself. It repeats itself. And I know the worship wars that other churches are waging. And if you've ever wondered if we're going to do that, the answer is no. That's not how this is going to function. It's just not who we are. I, I, I know what I have in this space most Sundays, though. I learned very quickly. Jared made lots of transitions when he got here. Before, if I'm not mistaken, there was a desire to put every lyric of a whole song on one black screen so you guys could all read along as if we had overhead projectors in our midst. He moved us away from that. I just heard an amen. This is from an engineering community. That is why that happens. I know what we have in spaces like this most Sundays. We, we have people who think repetition is hooey. Uh, you're going to struggle with the Psalms. You're going to struggle with John. But I'm really a Paul person. We don't get to be Paul people or John people. We get to be Jesus people. That's it. Then you get John. When we look at his song, he's just inspired, repetitive drops on us. My new command is my old command, and they will know you are my disciples when you love one another, which is my new command, but it's also an old command. Love's a big deal in the Bible. It's mentioned 116 times in the New Testament. Repetition. 25% of those times were John using the word love. And this is not good grammar, but I'll go with it. The bestest argument for the validity of our faith is transformative love. It's our greatest apologetic. It's the way that we're ourselves as a distinct people in a world that is absolutely not distinct. John knew this. John knew what love was and he knew what love looked like and he knew what love should be because John loved Jesus and even more so, Jesus loved John. And that transformative love is offered to every believer in this space. Would we understand that our faith is not declared by our love for God but by His love for us first and that we are responding to that? And our understanding of what love is has to be aligned with what the love that Jesus talks about is. The world in which we live that is full of darkness and death and hate, it does not get to undefine love. But we as followers of Jesus, we don't get to redefine it for our purposes. Our understanding of love. We find where that is and what that is and why that is, what it is through the crucified, resurrected Son of God who gave Himself for the sins of the world. We understand love because of Jesus. So if we're going to be people who are aligning our lives to walk as Jesus walked, to live as Jesus lived, we are going to be people who depend upon God because we love God and we want God to guide our lives. If we're going to follow after Jesus, we need to be people who understand that discipleship is part of our process. It is part of what it means to walk with Jesus, to be walking with other people who are walking with Jesus. We see that we're also to defy darkness. Darkness is a huge theme in the Scriptures as well. We see it consistently on the pages. Verse 9 of this passage. The one who says that he is in the light but hates his brother or sister. 
is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or, or hates his sister in the darkness walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is dealing with a situation in this church at Ephesus in particular where there are some who have removed themselves from the church because they believed that their understanding of God was above what John had experienced. And they believed that Jesus was some, uh, someone who had appeared to be human but was not actually that. Yet when we look at John, he's saying to us, that is a darkened understanding of God. There was a separation from what it meant for human beings to be actually material. And there would be people who would lean into promiscuity or lean into hurting themselves and pain. And in doing so, these, this group called the secessionists that would eventually be called the Gnostics, well, what they would do and what we would find them doing was trying to identify and find their identity in this thing other than what John had presented to them. Someone that he had seen, someone that he had heard, someone that he had touched, someone that he had talked to. We cannot get away from who Jesus is for the sake of our hearers. Our love is what God has called us to in Him. We are people who call, are called to love because of who we know. And we get to declare who we know by the way that we live in a dark, despair-filled world. I loathe poor customer service. If you go to Kroger or HEB or Home Depot or as my grandmother said, the Walmart, and you don't know where something is, you will go find an employee to talk to. The moment I get to that employee and they start waving their hands around in the air like they just don't care, I'm out. I, begin, I want to ask questions of them as they're doing this. Are you drawing me a picture or waving in a plane or telling me to round third base? I don't understand what you're doing in front of me. That's what loveless love does. It is a people who claim to know the answers and seem to be wearing vests and badges that say that we would know the answers, but we don't take people to the answer. Sometimes I just want to look at this person and say, will you just, I don't just sometimes want to say that. Sometimes I do say to that person, can you just walk with me? Can you just take me to where it is? And they look at me like, dummy, there's an app, but that has nothing to do with this. And as a pastor and as the elders who get to lead this church, Jared and I and our other guys, we've been given the permission and the opportunity to see that it's you that we trust that are walking with Jesus who are going to walk alongside of others who need to be walking with Jesus. I've called some of you on the phone just to walk with people. If you come to me for marriage counseling, I'm going to say, I've got three couples you need to go eat dinner with. That's all we do. Oh, if you're a new believer, I'll say, let me find a really good guide for you. I don't just want to tell you what to know. I want to give you someone who's going to show that. This is what Christian marriage looks like. 
This is what Christian love looks like. This is what Christian discipleship looks like. This is what this is supposed to look like. This does nothing. We have churches that are full of merciless mercy and graceless grace and loveless loves. It's a contagion. They are epidemics in so many corners of the Christian faith. We think we are correct when, we, when our actions say that we seem to be confused. One theologian says this, Husto Gonzalez, he says, Error never shows itself in naked reality in order not to be discovered. On the contrary, it dresses elegantly so the unweary may be led to believe that it is more truthful than truth itself. If we are living on ivory towers and not among people who we are seeking to help walk with Jesus, then we are full of a loveless love, a merciless mercy, a graceless grace. Would we be among people to assure us we see John hit on every level of development as we move forward with the assurance that they are headed the way of love and light and life in a world full of hate, darkness, and death. Confusion takes place when we move away from the way. We have a dog at our house. It belongs to my children. His name is Gus, and he's this beautiful red Vishla. I think I just called this dog beautiful. I think it's wearing on me. And one of the things that Gus and I do is we, we go to the dog park regularly. We meet people at the dog park. He meets people. I try to keep my AirPods in until he brings them to me. I'm like, well, here we are. Let's chat it up. <laughs> every day when we get into the car, not every day, I'm not there yet, but we will get into the car and I will buckle him in with his little harness and to make sure that he's not climbing into the front seat on top of me because initially he was. He would climb into the front seat on me every single time we would drive. And I ordered the harness. We got him clasped in. And about a third of the way there, as we go make this trip consistently, he realizes what we're doing. And he starts making this horrific noise. And the closer we get, the more excited he gets. He's tapping me on the shoulder with the paw that can read. Hey, do you know where we're going? Do you have any idea what we're about to do? You'll not believe this place. They let me poo wherever I want to. The whole while. I can't hear a phone call when this dog is doing this. I can't do anything. I turn from... And it all, he always gets excited by family fitness. As if he's wanting to remind me to do more sit-ups. And I always turn down the road off of 2004 between Target and, and, and Academy. The other day I turned down that road and he is living his best life. But when I get to 2004, I, I, it hits me, I'm hungry, so I take a left. Because I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A because I am a Christian. <laughs> All of the noise that he made... When we got off of the path, he stopped making. None of it. He was looking around wondering where we were going and why we were going there. What, what, what is this? 
He wasn't tapping me on the shoulder. He did not want to talk to me. He'd forgotten all about all the places that he was allowed to use the restroom and smell other people or dogs. If you'd been with me and you didn't know that he behaves a certain way when we were on the right path, you would have not thought anything about it. But if you knew like I did, it was clear that in his dog head, something was wrong. There may be people in your life who aren't in relationship with you enough to know if there's anything that's wrong. But we enter into a dependency upon God and the idea of Christian discipleship so that people can see when we're moving in ways we should not be moving and living in ways that we should not be living. Love serves as a diagnostic for us to remind us, no, you don't love to gain God's love. You love in response to it. And when we are out of that, we are showing darkness and hate. When we're leaning into that, that's when we need someone, if we are truly believers, to move us back on track, to remind us what love really is. John then says this, I'm, I'm writing to you, little children. That's not a condescending thing. John, at this point, is super old. I'm writing you, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, Little children, he covers everyone. And then we're not sure if he's writing specifically to the church leadership or if this is general tones, but it, is, it does have general application for every believer. These truths that are applied that we see in verses 13 and 14 are true for every believing person in this space and in every part of the Christian church throughout the history of history. I'm writing you little children so you'll, you'll see that you've been forgiven in my name. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. He's hitting every level of aging here. For those of you who have been in the faith for a long time and you've gotten tired and you're exhausted in the midst of your tired exhaustion, he's reassuring you that you know the one who is from the very beginning, the one who made things and the one who met us in the flesh. I'm writing to you young men, that's for you who are not as aged, because you have conquered the evil one. And the reason that he would say that was, sometimes this life will tell you that you haven't. I'm, I've written you children because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Repetition again. I've written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains overcome the evil. You've overcome the evil one. That's why I'm writing these things. So the way that those things are echoes of assurance and not simply something that reminds us of that is when we are depending upon God, we are in discipleship relationships that are defying the darkness that surrounds us. John wants to assure these believers at every single level. And he wants every one of us to know the direction they are headed and the, dire the direction that we are heading. At the end of it all, we will be reminded triumphantly that through his death and the loss of his life, Jesus wins. 
and hardship and difficulty and all the things that we face, Jesus wins. And God's redemptive work through the crucified, resurrected Jesus is for us to live every day in alignment with that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. Jesus does not say, this is the way. He actually says, I'm it, I'm it, I'm it. So will we lean into relationship with the Lord that say, yeah, I really believe that. I believe that more than I believe anything else in all the world. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And I want to walk with him. As a faith family, every Sunday we take communion together to celebrate that Jesus has died in our place. To celebrate that he has offered life in exchange for our death. If you're a believer in Christ, I would love for you to take communion with us. It doesn't matter if you're a member here at Grace Bible or not. If you have placed your faith in Christ's broken body and his shed blood, then we take communion and we are bound together as believers throughout the history of, as I say consistently, space and time. If you're not a believer, I'm grateful you're here. Uh, I would ask you not to take communion. If you want to talk to me about why, I'm in the back corner of the room, but we do offer something better. We offer a conversation about what it means for you to trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And what not we get to talk about not only what communion is, but what it actually represents for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, thank you for your word, which is good and true and real. And, and, and you meet with us. Father, for every believer in this space, would they be assured? Would they be assured that you are writing to your little children? Because our sins have been forgiven on account of the name of Jesus. Would we see that you are writing to us because we have come to know the one who is from the very beginning? Will we be reminded that we have overcome the evil one? Will we know, Jesus, that you have conquered death and hell and the grave? And would that shape the way that we interact with one another? Would we choose light and life over darkness and death? Will we choose love over hate? Because your love and light and life made its way into us. We ask all this in Christ's name. And all of my friends say...